2: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Wednesday, middle of the week and we're talking some USC football with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer and columnist. Today we're going to talk some spring football, of course, uh, almost a halfway point for USC spring football. There's going to be a shift, uh, we're going to talk to Dan about that, uh, what's going on and position battles and some position switches and things like that. If you have any questions or comments, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. All of our contact information is there. You can go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave positive feedback. That would be wonderful. We're also on the Google Play, Audio Boom, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, lots of different ways to find the show. And if you find a place that we're not on, just let me know, podcast.uscfootball.com, and I will contact them and make sure they carry the Peristyle Podcast. Almost 10 years now we've been going. So uh, the longest-running USC podcast out there. Um, thank you guys for downloading and listening. Hope you enjoy it, and uh, let's bring in Dan Weber and talk some spring football. What is up, Dan? How are you?
0: Great. Uh, we enjoy downloading it, as uh, as much as, hopefully as much as the listeners do. This is always fun to do, and uh, actually I think it helps us in some ways clarify our own thinking about what's going on and how it changes from day to day, week to week, year to year, and, and it's fun to do, and, and the questions uh, make it even more fun because... As, you know, folks think about things we're not thinking about. And, uh, and that's, that's
2: pretty cool. For sure. And, um, it was, we had an interesting show. So sorry we haven't had a show for a few days. Saturday after the scrimmage, uh, Harvey Hyde and I jumped into one of the classrooms, <laughs> I think in Wade Phillips Hall, And I think that's what it was, uh, like a, a chemistry room. And we did a podcast in there. All right? right, Yeah. <laughs> Good reviews. And I thought it was, it was well. Um, I'm doing a bathroom remodel now. So it's a little crazy and I'm going to be out of town. Uh, a little bit next week. So be a little sketchy on the podcast, a little not sketchy, but, um, not exactly the same routine that we'll normally be doing. Um, but I'm glad you could come on today a little bit later in the day on a Wednesday than we normally do, Dan. But thanks for, thanks for coming on so we can talk some football.
0: Yeah, it's good. Uh, you know, with Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Wednesday is a, is a good time to talk. And, uh, and, and we see different things each week or different things. Each day, so it you know it gives you okay. You were there for Tuesday. Now, let's reflect on on that and and where we're going. And uh, I guess uh, halfway through tomorrow's practice, uh, Thursday's practice will be the exact halfway point in uh, in in spring practice. But it it does seem like, and when you just ask them, they all just shake their head and say, "We are so far ahead of where we were last." you know, last year at this time, and, and there's no question about it. And I know, I think somebody was trying to get Clay to say, uh, because the defense, he had said a couple of practices in a row, defense ahead of the offense, that the offense was behind. And what he said was, no, 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 no. He may be behind the defense. It's not behind where it was last year. You know, it's way, way ahead of where it was last year. It's just that, The defense is getting there, you know, a little quicker, like you might expect. And, uh, with the, the numbers of, you know, veterans and returnees and, and what have you. And, you know, you expect the, the defense to get out front a little bit. But as a group, you know, except for special teams, which we'll see how, how that goes because of the loss of, you know, Adory and, and not Thormacer, uh, and Zach Smith. So, you got some, other than that, this team's, uh, pretty far ahead of, of, you know, of last spring and probably ahead of last August, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, I think so much so where, you know, they, they kind of got a lot out of those first seven practices and, and Clay Helton said now he wants to take a look at really building up that second team. Now, not all the position battles are set or anything like that, you know, far from it. But I think he feels comfortable enough now that, hey, they're going to need to be able to play more guys. They need the two deep established. There could be injuries and all kinds of stuff. So it looks like the last eight practices might be a little bit more about the second team than the first team.
0: Yeah, I think that's really smart. I think those are the guys that will benefit, you know, the most from being coached up. And the more they're coached up and the more they are capable of competing, the better it is for the first team or the first group. And so uh, and then secondly, I think there really are a lot more of those guys that are in that category of young, talented, but could play, can play. Uh, so I think you you're coaching a, a much bigger group than in years past now that they're, they're legitimately uh, full scholarship program at this point, but still young because those numbers came in the in the you know first two classes, let's say, compared to, you know, the upper classes. So um I think I think it's a really smart thing, you know, for Clay to do. I, I just think it's it's the way to go. Uh coach that competitive I do think and I and I know we we probably don't want to overstate, you know, going back to the P. Carroll era or whatever But if there was one thing that Pete did better than anybody else, it was that whole competitiveness thing and bringing it out at practice and then having it be the thing that, you know, carried you through games where you just felt more competitive, that the more competitive things got USC would, you know, the kids, USC players felt like they had the advantage, that they just were were competitively ready to go. And I like the idea of coaching in that whole competitive uh, angle uh, at this point in time I think the, the numbers are there the count is there uh, the guys that you're coaching that uh, for are the younger guys and the better they do the harder they push the the sooner they get there uh the more they push those uh you know the guys that you would say well these are you know these are the starters these are the you know the first team guys uh, the far, harder harder they get pushed, the better, I think, at this point. So I think it's a really uh, really good way for clay to finish out this spring because the better and the harder and the farther they come, the more the um, uh, the rest of the team
2: comes along. well let's uh, let's jump into some questions, Dan, and we'll talk more about spring football with everyone with, with, you know get to know what everyone wants to know um, or get into it. Tarek had a question. What uh? What have you thought of uh, Marlin Tuipeoloto thus far? I think he
0: looks like he belongs, and I think it, he looks like you know that somebody's watching out for USC because when you lose to Stevie Kalabatu, someone you didn't expect to be uh, have that kind of impact last year, and you know here's a 25-year-old married guy, you know from Brigham—I mean, excuse me—from the University of Utah. And now you've got, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if he's 18 or 19, should be still, you know, figuring out who detected to to the prom. Uh, and, and Marlon, and he's out there, he does not look like a freshman. Uh, he looks like, you know, I was telling somebody yesterday the other day, that if he got off the, the, you know, the plane with an NFL team, you would not pick him out as the college freshman. He does look, you know, he's just a, He looks like a finished product. I really like the fact that, you know, he's 305 pounds now, and he's got all those weight, uh, excuse me, all those uh, wrestling skills, you know, that low center of gravity, that really good balance, that that quick twitch, you know, first uh, move. He's got so much going for him. I mean, if USC could be lucky enough to get a freshman to come in here and take Stevie's place, uh, that's one of those things where you just say, wow, how good, how good was that flip of, of him, uh, at the last minute? Um, that was, uh, somebody's watching out for your program when you can pull that off and that's a great job, but, uh, yeah, what a great place to start, uh, when you're looking at you know, the new guys, the freshmen just don't expect a freshman to be able to do that, you know, uh. Leonard Williams could. You know, there are a few people, that, you know, Sean Cody could. There were there were a few, but don't expect it to see it much. No. And I think we might be seeing it.
2: We had a question from Chris. He says, How do you see uh, these players developing this spring camp and where do you predict them to be in the depth chart uh, after fall camp? He lists four players. You want me to just give you one at a time and you can give your thoughts? Sure. Yeah, so first okay. one is Jalen Green.
0: I think he's going to have a real shot at, at at being out there with the first group. He's smart. He's tough. He's strong, big, strong. He's very athletic and they love the fact that they can, you know, double pass with him and they can, you know, run the flank or reverse. They can do a lot of things with him. And he's just a savvy guy with really good athletic skills. I mean, he's got the poise that you pick up, um, uh, you know, being a, a quarterback, uh, Got a lot going for him. Uh, they they really like having him on the field. So so I think he's uh, he's stronger. Uh, he looks stronger, at, you know, in terms of his situation than than maybe we would have guessed. We thought he would, you know, and that says says some good things about the fact that he's going to concentrate just play wide receiver. So uh, I think he's in a in a really good place.
2: Uh, Jacob Daniels.
0: Good question. I don't know. He, 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 he looks like a player and big and strong and, uh, you know, he's, uh, going to get a chance, uh, with that. He's the perfect guy that they're focusing on for like this second group as to where can he come? How, how, how much is there? You know, how much does he want it? How much, you know, is he going to work at it and all that kind of thing? Um, uh, I think we're just going to keep our eyes on him and see where, where he ends up. Uh, but, but, you know, he looks like, uh, he has it within his power to do it if he, if he really, really wants to do it. And, uh, we'll keep, we'll keep our eye on him. It, it's, that's a good question.
2: We don't know. I don't think yet. Uh, Jonathan Lockett.
0: He, I think health is, uh, you know, coming back from surgery. Uh, we'll have to see where he fits in. I mean, I think, again, he's another one of those guys that can, you know, be that, in that second group and be very, very valuable with his, you know, experience, his athleticism, and, you know, once he's healthy, uh, again, I think he can be really, really valuable and give them a chance to, to To rotate in ways in which they, you know, we haven't seen them be able to do in a long, long time. So, uh, but again, you got to get healthy, and that we're not sure how long that that's going to take for him to be, uh, you know, totally back.
2: And then uh, finally, it was Akili Ross. Well, his first impressions are he
0: really looks like he's going hard and really wants to. Make an impression and really wants to be as good uh, a player as maybe his athletic talent and his size and all that would allow him to be and and the coaches are noticing him and they're talking about him, and uh, you know there's a there's a chance uh you know for him and, and again, he's another one of those guys that I think Clay is talking to and saying, we want to focus on you guys. We want you to really be ready, and we want you to be able to be, you know, a guy that we can plug in or a group that we can plug in. And uh, I think, you know, I'm I'm impressed with what I'm seeing of of Achilles thus far in spring.
2: All right. Uh, Let's see. We'll move on to the next question. Uh, Matt wrote in. He said, Dan Weber said after the scrimmage on Saturday that things were different than last year at this time. I want to hear more about that. How is this USC football team different uh, than this time last year? And you kind of talked about that a little bit, but maybe, you know, you can go a little more. Well, I
0: think, the, uh, like on defense, for example, I think the they were really just trying to figure out how do they communicate. You know, it's really important for Clancy's defense that the linebackers can communicate with the D-line and the linebackers can communicate with the secondary and the secondary can, you know, communicate with – the linebackers and the D-line can communicate with them. And all of that, that was really a learned something that they had to learn to do. I mean, you had, uh you know, some of the guys like, you know, say, uh who had played for Clancy a couple of years before, but they were all feeling their way around. I mean, they just were trying to, uh you know, figure out exactly what do we want to do and how do we want to do this on defense. When you see them now, you don't get any sense of that, that they're trying to figure out how to communicate. And that's even, you know, guys like uh, 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 John Houston and Jordan ESFA, who are mostly special teams guys, uh, they just seem to be way farther along uh, in terms of, I like, think Jordan got to take over for Cam Smith Tuesday. And, no, you know, no hesitation, no, you know, taking a step back or any anything like that. So... Uh, you see that on defense. Uh, on offense, what you see is, is CM Darnold is in a place that he wasn't even in last, you know, last fall. I mean, last, you know, end of September. Uh, he's in a, a way different place. Uh, I mean, he, he looks better than he did in the, you know, in the Rose Bowl. I mean, he just, he's, He's figured some things out. I think he knows what he can do now. They know what he can do. So you see them doing things on offense we maybe haven't haven't seen them do before with the quarterback. I mean, he's just uh, yeah, he. So that you know, when you have a quarterback like that, that changes everything. I think Ronald Jones at two hundred and five pounds, you know, probably ten pounds bigger. Doesn't look like he lost anything uh at all. I mean, I say lost. He, He looks just more powerful. He looks certainly as quick and strong, stronger. Uh, more, uh, definitive in his cuts, I think, and more able to just, you know, run the ball up in there. I think they're going to do more of that. So we're seeing more, more of that kind of thing. Uh, we see three tight ends who can run patterns and get, you know, get down the field and catch the ball. That's something you didn't have. Uh, wide receivers, you see a lot of, you know, obviously when you when you lose four four veterans like they did uh you got a younger group there's no question about it uh but you see a avellis Jones who's got something that nobody had on last year's i mean unless they would have played you know a dory uh at that spot uh I guess they did you know some and uh you see some of that kind of you know explosiveness and that necessity if you're the defense to make sure you know where he is and i think you're seeing uh, where it took maybe a little longer for for sam to develop kind of a sense of where each of his receivers would be and what the timing would be i think that's accelerated uh even with a younger group i think sam has the ability now to 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 pick up more quickly on uh on where those guys are and their development and, and just to have an understanding of, of you know how everything goes together. So so that yeah so that that's, that's kinda of what you mean by the fact that they're in a different place. And let's face it last year on on, on the defensive line, for example, you didn't in, in the spring you didn't have a Stevie. Uh this year they're, you know, fortunate that they've got a Marlin. So uh uh, there are lots of ways you look at them and say, you know, this looks like more of a, a finished product. Uh, I, I mean, I thought by the end of the spring, it looked like they were getting there. The spring game was pretty, uh, you know, pretty exciting. And part of the reason was you got to see Sam do a lot of things and, and think about how, and, you know, you, you remember where, uh, Clay said, well, they couldn't make a decision at the end of spring. Uh, so this year you've got the decision made obviously with with Sam and uh they just look It more looks like they're getting ready for games you know uh, you know we're sometimes in spring it's just you know really doing the basics and just trying to you know see who you got and where you are and all that this team looks a lot closer than if you said by the end of the spring they were going to play Notre Dame or whatever you'd say well I That'll be fine. Let's go. You know, you wouldn't have said that last year. So, so they're in a different place. No question about it.
2: We got uh, Anthony in LA. He says hashtag fight on. Uh, great articles and podcasts. As always, guys. Two questions. First, watching Vivai uh, running the ball is awesome to see. He's got elus- elusiveness like Justin Davis, but a downhill runner like Buck Allen. Can we anticipate seeing him on the field sharing snaps with Akacentric Ware? this upcoming season. And uh, the second one, he says, I'm interested to see how the competition between Isaiah Langley and Jack Jones goes. Do you anticipate Jack winning that competition? Thanks, and as always, guys, fight on. Anthony in L.A.
0: Yeah, Anthony, I think also, you know, you, you want to put Steven Carr in that running back mix and, and see where that goes. But, yeah, from what we've seen, it's hard to imagine that Ravi is not going to be part of the mix. Uh, he just seems like, you know, he's got enough of this and enough of that. He just runs not like he's a red shirt freshman. He just has, and I keep saying, it, he's got a knack. He just seems like he knows, you know, his timing is good. His, you know, reading of, you know, where the, where the seam is going to be is good. Um, he, he just looks like he belongs out there. Uh, and he's a heady runner, uh, and he runs the daylight. And uh, there's just something about him that he just seems to to know what he's doing. He doesn't look, you know, he looks m- much more experienced. And um, he, he's got a real talent. So he has to be in the mix, I think. Uh, I don't know that he'll ever be that kind of, you know, I think he's got a lot of power, and I think he shows it when he gets through the seam, I don't know if he'll ever be that kind of like, uh, like Aka Cedric is, who just is sort of a hammer where he's just going to, you know, hit in there where there's nothing there and still, you know, make something, get down low and, and figure out a way to get through. Whereas, whereas, uh, um, is more of a guy who's seeing things down the field, seeing where they're going to open up and all that. But, uh, but I, I, I just, yeah i think he i think he's definitely gonna play as far as isaiah and uh in battling it out with uh jack Jones, isaiah has is come ready to play i mean he looks like he really wants to be on the field and um uh, so uh, he's in a different place from from where he was a year ago he's much more mature looking and uh i think he realizes you know there's there's an open spot there You know, uh, i think uh jack doesn't agree with that jack said if there's an open corner spot it's not mine <laughs> uh that's going to be good competition I, I i like you know that kind of competition i think is is really good you know for this team but uh uh yeah that'll be a good one to, to keep our eyes on and, and what you want is you want two guys to come out of there where they both can play and both can you know start and both can shut people down and and uh and and neither one's going to make a make a big mistake and and all that. That's kind of where you hope this is going.
2: All right. Uh, let's see. We got um oh is it so we yeah so there was the Justin Davis part um and Vavai uh being the downhill runner like Buck Allen okay and then the, the uh the cornerback composition. Okay, so we got that. That was all, all right. for me. Yeah
0: yeah and I think yeah and I think Justin does have some of that I mean, uh, Vavai does have some of that Justin part. I'm not sure I would say the Buck Allen part, but he, he's a bigger, strong, you know, I don't know if he's, I don't know technically if he's going to weigh any more than, uh, than uh, Justin did. Justin got up, you know, he got close to 205 also, but he was taller, kind of a, you know, a lankier look, whereas uh, uh, Vavai has, you know, got that compact, you know, kind of frame that, uh, he just has a different look when he runs the ball. But, uh, but there's that, you know, Justin, uh, in him. He's just, and Justin also had the ability to kind of know where the hole was going to open up and when it was going to open up. And he had, had some patience. And, uh, I think Vivai is showing that kind of patience that you don't always see from a young guy.
2: Okay, let's see. We'll move on. Uh, next one. We had a couple from Eric and Duck Country. First one, he said, now that the scholarship numbers are up, does uh, Coach Helton seem more comfortable with players hiddly, hitting, hiddling, hitting and tackling at full speed? Thanks, as always, Eric and Duck Country.
0: Well, they're doing more of it. There's no question about it. And, and I, I, well, He hasn't said that. Well, I don't even, you know, so much even thought about that. It just looks more natural. And um, I think part of that is from the competition uh but um that's a good observation i just think yeah they're they're more they're more able to just not be all that worried about it and the second part i mean they're even you're seeing because of the way Sam plays, they're letting it stay live longer on the quarterback, and you have to with Sam, for example, because a lot of what he does is after that you know evading that first you know rusher where you know so often and in, and in, in, you know when you watch uh, college teams practice and scrimmage and what have you you know that first guy who makes a run at the quarterback boop, uh, plays plays dead that doesn't happen with usc now it might have happened a little bit more last year and uh, before people realized that it is not fair to sam you know to whistle those plays dead so that keeps the you know the contact going a little bit longer, and uh you know there's a i mean yeah, uh, Tuesday they were just you know shoulder pads and helmets, but every guy that caught the ball at the sidelines got drilled i mean absolutely drilled you know from one fence to the other uh there was uh a lot of hitting going on uh and and it just seems like yeah that's the way you do it, and nobody's you know, all that worried about it, and so, uh, yeah, there's more there's more going on, and it just seems more natural, and nobody seems terribly worried about it, so, you know, if you get lucky and everything goes through, and, and, and you know, they were decently lucky last year once they got started anyway, uh, then you're better off being able to do this, because uh, it's, it's much more game-like, uh, even if it's just supposed to be thud or just supposed to be, you know, not taking them to the ground or, you know, hey, you got shorts on. Um, that's not what we're seeing.
2: He, his second question was, uh, he was talking about the quality control assistant. He said, is the new coaching assistant Brian Ellis on the field now? What exactly does a quality control assistant do? Thanks, uh, from Eric.
0: That's a good question. I think it's all different sorts of things, uh, for all different Sorts of programs. I actually don't think they're on the field ever. Uh, I think that's where that limitation comes in. And, and you, you're you only allowed, you know, when is it? The 10, 9 uh, uh, coaches on the field, actually coaching and the grad assistant. But uh, the other people, you know, like uh, when Sark was at Alabama last year, he was an analyst, I guess they called him in Alabama. Uh, he wasn't allowed to be on the field coaching players, uh, until he got, you know, he replaced Lane. Then he was allowed to be on the field coaching players. But, uh, no, I think what they do mostly, they, they, you know, analyze film. They're in the meeting rooms. They, uh, uh, work on the practice plan. Uh, you know, they, they give you another set of eyes. They give you another thought about, you know, doing this or doing that. He was a quarterback in college. And then he was around, the, uh, you know, and he ended up being the play caller in the, um, um, Western Kentucky's, uh, Boca Vertone bowl, big win over, um, when they scored 51 against Memphis this past uh, year, he did not go with, uh, um, Jeff Brom to Purdue from Western Kentucky. So he was available. And he had been the quarterback for UAB when, uh, Neil Calloway was the coach. So, uh, uh, he gives them another kind of savvy young guy. He gives them a guy, from, a Georgia guy, which probably will certainly help, you know, recruiting. But he also gives them another quarterback, uh, a guy who's real comfortable with this offense, who is going to be able to look at things and, you know, have some, some more ideas. So they've got a, you know, a bunch of, bunch of quarterbacks, uh, who, are pretty comfortable with what they're doing offensively, and that, that's probably a good thing. But, but I don't think you're going to see him on the field.
2: All right, we have a voicemail question. I'm going to play this one for you. Here we go.
3: Hey, guys, this is uh, Daniel out of Los Angeles. Um, just had a quick question um, for the recruiting podcast or any podcast that would be able to answer this. Uh, just wondering, um, is USC its own culprit when student-athletes Specifically, football and basketball leave uh, school early uh, to pursue a professional career. And what I mean by that, um, if you think of any other conferences, and you don't out throw the California Pac-12 schools in the mix as well. When you when you think of other conferences, specifically the Pac, um, the Power Five, um, not many other schools, maybe the Big Ten, not many other uh, conferences academically can stack up against a. USC, UCLA, Stanford, Berkeley, University of Washington—all in one conference. So, with that, uh, with that being said, do uh, do these students um, feel a lot more comfortable with the academic uh, uh, degree that they're going to have uh, behind them to go ahead and leave school early? Because it could almost be like almost a win-win scenario for them. Either they make it in the pros or they don't, but they still have that USC. Uh, degree, they have that UCLA degree, they have that Stanford degree behind them. So either way, they can, they're they setting themselves up for, so for success. So, and um with that being said, do you think that PAC-12 schools are more of a dis- disadvantage for kids leaving early because they know they have that academic background behind them in that degree, uh, you know, for their future? Uh, just a, just a thought, just wondering, Um maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but thanks guys. Peristyle Podcast is the best.
0: Yeah, I I think the Pac-12 it works both ways. I mean, I think it probably in in some ways the academic uh, you know reputation and the, you know what it means to have a degree from a lot of the Pac-12 schools. I think in some ways that would that might keep a kid here that extra year when there's a, you know a question between do I go and do I stay. I mean, or, or you know, like with the Dory jackson it it got him to stay this semester so he's taking you know 12 even though he's you know doing all the nfl stuff and getting ready and and you know for the draft and what have you he's still taking 12 hours and he'll only he'll have only 12 hours to to uh, uh complete his degree and he figured you know it'll make it a lot easier if i've only got 12 hours so if i got 24 hours that, that that's more of an you know once i'm in the nfl that's more of a you know a uh, 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 you know a time consuming uh you know commitment, but twelve hours he i will figure I'll be able to do that so he was certainly thinking about his degree i I think with a lot of those guys i don't i think there's no question I think Isaac Whitney was the one who said, you know and he did so well and and you know ran a four four one and just looked you know great at pro day didn't you know obviously didn't get a chance to do as much at u s c as he would have hoped for but He's coming out of this, and I saw one of his tweets one day where he said, "You know, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I'm coming out of here with the USC degree, and not a sense of oh, I wish I'd you know been able to do more, you know, in football and all that kind of thing." So, uh, you know, I think it plays both ways, Uh, but I think in general, there's no question uh, you could feel better about a Pac-12 degree. I mean, you look at some of the other conferences. Um, I was thinking about, you know, the, you know, the Big 12, you've got the University of Texas. And, and that's kind of, you know, as far as kind of an elite, you know, top 50, uh, you know, academic program, great graduate schools and professional schools and all that. And the Pac 12, you really do, you, you listed them all, you know, all four California schools and, and, uh, and Washington, University of Washington, uh, you've got, uh, you know five of those that you know maybe the fcc you've got uh Vanderbilt and maybe uh down near that 50 mark say Florida uh the um, um acc you do have the acc the one other one that might be in in competition with uh you know duke and north carolina and um in virginia uh so uh so i think you know i think there's There's a lot to be said for the, you know, the academics of the Pac-12. And I think it's the kind of thing where, you know, if you're recruiting a kid, you know, out of Florida or Georgia or somewhere, it matters, you know, to say, look, you know, you come here and, you know, that USC degree is is really going to be worth something. I think uh, we talked to Delann McCullough, the new coach, and, you know, some about his, you know, about the way he will recruit. And that'll be a a big part of it, I think, uh, you know, so – and I'm trying to think, let's see, if you match them up against the Big Ten, uh, you've got Northwestern and, and Michigan, Wisconsin, not a pretty decent, you know, and we're talking, not that any of these are, you know, like bad schools, but in terms of, you know, really, uh, you know, that top 25, top 50, uh, not quite, not quite the same maybe as the, uh, as the Pac-12, but, uh, but, in fact well, there's no question about it. the Power Five Conference is, is, is the most uh, you know
2: solid academic, and
0: I think it really, I think it does matter to these
2: kids. I think it really does. All right, we got one last one for you, Dan, and uh, we'll let you go. We have Sean in Sacramento. He says I always, I always enjoy hearing your thoughts on the future of college football, particularly the possibility of forming four 16 team super conferences, many smart people like yourself have described before what such a system might look like for football and which schools would go where. But with March Madness upon us, it seems like an appropriate time to ask how basketball complicates the situation. For example, the Big East and the American Athletic Conference both contain perennial contenders in college basketball postseason, but not all of these schools have a football program strong enough to be in, excuse me, one of the 16 team super conferences. What do you think will become of these predominantly basketball schools? Is there a Place for them in the Super Conference system and has the Super Conference conversation thus far been too football centric, or will we start seeing more schools playing football in one conference and basketball in another? Thanks, Sean in Sacramento, Trojan alum and fellow Saint Xavier Bomber. Really? Yeah. Holy Criminy! Nice, Sean. Whoa,
0: Bomber. Okay, the the Bombers ended up they they ended up changing their nickname. I can't even remember what they were. But they had a run of players who were just unbelievably talented—football, basketball. One of them, you know, went to Notre Dame, and one of them was an NBA coach, and one of them was on a basketball hall of famer. And they all came through it, you know, in the—I the, think they like the late '40s—and they changed the name to Bombers because they—they threw the ball. They had all these basketball players that could throw it and catch it, and uh, they were doing it in ways in which nobody else. Uh, had done in the midwest and in high school football so, so it's always it's always good to hear from a you know a fellow bomber uh but uh uh i'm trying to the way you know i think it works really well this way to have You know, the, the football teams that, that, you know, the bowl, you know, the bowl teams and the teams that have a chance to win the national championship in football. Football's always gonna, you know, rule the roost in terms of TV and TV money and, and influence and what have you. But as you see with, uh, you know, with college basketball, you know, you've got, um, you've got Gonzaga, you know, hanging in there. You got our, my, you know, my Xavier University Musketeers made it to the, you know, the Elite Eight at least. Um, uh, and I think that that's one of the really, that's one of the really neat things about college sports is that you can do it in the big East, which is essentially all basketball schools schools like Xavier and Butler and, and that they can be really, really good. And, and, you know, you wish, uh, USC, you know, could figure out how to, how to be as good as, you know, Xavier or Butler. And, that two-tiered thing, I think, really works. That that basketball, you know, the NCAA runs basketball. They get the money, they distribute it, they run the TV and all that. And in football, the schools themselves and the conferences they run football. The NCAA doesn't get its hands on football, doesn't touch the bowls, doesn't touch the, uh, you know, the college football playoff system, and, and I think that works really well. Now, if they start, you know. Uh, changing the way the conferences work and who's going to go where and all that there will be some interesting decisions make like if you're going to affiliate let's say the pac 12 and the big 12 and you're going to come up with say 16 teams out of the whatever there are now 22 in those two conferences you're going to have to make some decisions like do you take kansas with their great basketball program and tradition and, you know, national following and TV impact and just no football program, you know, to speak of, you know, how do you make that decision and, and, and in terms of, you know, where does, do you take somebody just because of their basketball program or, or how does that all work? I don't think we know. I mean, we've seen Notre Dame, you know, affiliate, uh, half football with the Atlantic Coast Conference and then, then, then with the, all the other sports. Will there be some of that? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think there are times when you wonder about USC's future in the Pac 12. You know, would they be better off going the Notre Dame route down the road and, you know, where they half affili you know, half affiliate in and, and the rest of the sports and, and take football in a different direction when they realize a, they're falling so far behind the Big Ten and the SEC in revenue. And, you know, how long do you say that it's fair for USC and Oregon State to get the exact same, uh, you know, money from the, the TV contracts, which are significantly below what USC would get if they were in another conference. So, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of interesting questions, but I like the idea though of the, the football is one way and basketball is the other way. Uh, I mean, I just love it that, you know, Gonzaga is going to have a chance this weekend. Uh, and I think that was great. And Butler made it to the, you know, championship game twice, not too long ago. And I think that's really, I think it's really cool to have, you know, just different ways of doing things in the different sports. I, I, I like that a lot, and I like it that the Big East was able to figure out how to, you know, come together as a conference without football. They got a great television deal with Fox, and they get great exposure. I mean, you get much better. If you're Xavier Butler, you get much better national exposure than if you're USC. And, you know, so there are ways of doing it if if you're smart about it. And, uh, you know. Ways in which, uh, if you're smarter than the Pac-12, and I don't know that how that, how hard that is (laughs) in sports like basketball to be smarter than the Pac-12, but, uh, you know, I like it that they figured it out and now they, you know, see if the Pac-12 can figure some things out. So far we haven't, haven't seen a a, a great deal of evidence of that, but I like it that there are people out there where you can, if you're one of the Pac-12s and say, hey, look at what those guys are doing when are we going to do something like that? I think that's, uh so I, I, I like that, you know, I like the way things are going. The thing you can't like is what's happening uh, to cable TV, to, you know, the number of subscribers, the ESPN and, and Fox and the way they're just dropping off and the way people are dropping off the cable grid. And what does that mean for these, uh, you know, these big schools that are used to cashing the big, big checks from cable TV when the next uh, round of, uh, you know, contract talks come up, you know, is that one of the things that the big schools will be so, uh, still so valuable in, a, you know, this cable TV world where everything is broken up and, you know, in a million pieces. Uh, I saw that uh, the Kentucky-North Carolina game drew, uh, had more than 20 million viewers uh, last Sunday, which is, you know, more than almost any NBA game in, in, you know, in history. And, uh, you just think that the, you know, the value of college, uh, uh, athletics at the top level will always be really, you know, as good as anything you can get, you know, if you're an advertiser or if you're, you know, a cable network. So, but, uh, if I were, if I were one of the teams like, at the, I mean, you just wonder, like the Mountain West or the, you know, teams like that, American Athletic Conference, I mean, I could see a day where they're going to have to pay cable TV to put them on, you know? They're just not going to be people, you know, who are willing to pay really big dollars, you know, for some of those games. Whereas you would think, you know, a USC and a Notre Dame and a Texas and Oklahoma and, you know Alabama obviously and all that they're always going to be worth you know a great deal but uh how that shakes out for the rest of the of college sports I, I don't think we know we can't I don't think we can even guess but it's sure going to be something to pay attention to because it's changing and changing fast
2: it certainly is um all right well Dan great stuff thanks for uh coming on the show and we'll uh we'll see you out at the uh Practice field tomorrow, Thursday, and it's again, it's open to the public, so if you want to come out at 3 p.m., Howard Jones Field, come check it out. Yeah, I
0: can't wait, and it's fun. Come out and watch them. Uh, they, they're, and, and the crowds are certainly picking up. You know, there were a lot of people there Tuesday, a uh, heck of a lot of people there Saturday. We still don't know when the second scrimmage is. They're only allowed three, and the third one will be uh, April 15th, spring game. But we're not sure this Saturday or the next Saturday. I'm guessing since they didn't tell us, it might be more likely it's next Saturday than this Saturday. But we don't know. Yeah. And, you know but it, they're certainly worth coming out to watch.
2: For sure. The Saturday ones especially. You can get off. Uh, if you're not going to work, you can go in. At, was it 10 a.m., right? Usually they're starting.
0: 10 a.m., yep, 10 a.m. That was great. I mean, the crowd was just terrific.
2: Uh, this past Saturday,
0: and they got a great show. They really obviously enjoyed themselves, and I think a lot of people just enjoyed seeing a lot of the former players who came out, which was was fun. Yeah. So.
2: Cool. Well, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time.
1: estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at Estate.com. That's Michael M-O-L-I-N-E real Estate.com.